Yeah. Like even things like, you know, she wasn't a dizzy. Like she had thick legs. Like I was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's, mm-hmm. I was like, that's Samoa and Tonga. And I'm like, yes. she had thick legs, like her yes. you know, curls, like my, uh, my mm-hmm. nieces and nephews, they're like, you have Moana hair, Auntie right. Emma. And I'm like, I do. I'm like, yes, listen, so don't comb Moana's hair out with a brush. It needs to be no, water no. in that because you're just going to make it frizzy, right. you know? <laughs> so, right. I love that. Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hey everyone, I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, One of the visions for Someday is Here is that we would really be about representing um, incredible Asian American Pacific Islander women. And what I've recognized over the first two seasons is that we've sadly not included Pacific Islanders in our description. And I'm sad to admit that because my husband is Native Hawaiian, my children are Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders are part of my family. And yet I have spent the last two seasons just referring to Asian American. So that has been a big miss and we want to change that. It's going to be, I love this conversation though with Emma because she explains some of the tensions with being included with Asian American as a Pacific Islander. Um, so we, we get into that conversation and I'm excited for you to hear from Emma. She is a gifted leader. She's obviously so intelligent as a student athlete at UCLA. She is currently serving um, with Athletes in Action and is an executive leader of the Lenses Institute, which we'll talk about more during our interview. And she's a regional director that kind of oversees with Athletes in Action, California, Arizona, and Hawaii. And I just, I am so excited for you to hear her story, her journey, and to really learn more about Polynesian culture and you know, South Pacific Islanders. So enjoy today's episode. I love my guest today, Emma Tatolo. Am I getting it? Yes, yeah. I get, yeah. I'm getting the thumbs up. Yeah. Um, our first Pacific Islander guest, Polynesian guest. And this will be part of our conversation, but I'm, as you've heard in the introduction, I think the world of Emma and I consider Emma a sister and a friend. And I'm just, just delighted. I've looked forward to this moment for days on my computer. So here we are. Welcome Emma to the show. Hi, Vivian. I look up to you. So it's crazy that you'd even say that because- You're like one of my idols, so uh, I love you. Yeah. Well, the feeling is super, super mutual, and I, um, I, I think about probably the 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 time that I really got to hear most of your heart was when we were part of the Lenses Institute together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Emma is under, as executive one of the executive leaders of Lenses Institute, which we'll link up all of this in the show notes. But really, a fantastic opportunity for all, everyone to really dive into 
um, mm-hmm. learning about racial issues, social justice, you know, just really bringing those things together. But when you taught there, I was just so drawn to your, uh, you have a compassionate, you're a compassionate truth teller. Mm. And that's what I really admire about you. So I know that that has been just, just, it's just who you are. So I'm thankful for you. Thanks so much for saying that. (laughs) So nice. Well, I would love for, for you to take our listeners kind of on a journey. Tell us a little bit of your ethnic journey and, you know, just, yeah, inform yeah, us. Just, just dive it. in. Yeah. Um, so I am, I'm biracial. So I'm what in Samoan we call it Afkasi, which is just like where I'm half. So mm-hmm. um, my mom um, was white. And so she, I think her ethnic background, I know because my mom, my mom's passed away, but she has an identical twin and her twin did her ancestry. And so I think they're mostly uh, German, Scottish, Irish, and English. Um, And then my dad um, is Samoan. And so he, um, he comes from a pretty large family, normal normal in Polynesian families. <laughs> and he was, I think, the first of his siblings to be born um, in the mainland. So mm. like my grandpa, um, his dad moved over from American Samoa. Um, mm. And so that's kind of like my growing up is that is these kind of living in two worlds. But one of the things about my dad, so um, when, the, when my grandpa brought them over here to the mainland, um, he... I'm pretty sure like my grandpa, and I think this is a generational thing. I mean, Mm. I've talked to a lot of people where this is a generational thing, but my grandpa didn't want um, his boys to come over here and kind of be like, um, this is the terminology like they've used. My dad has like a fob or fresh off the Mm. boat. Like he wanted them really integrated into life um, Mm. in the mainland, like like going to school being able to succeed. And so when they moved over here, they moved to Long Beach, California. Mm. Um, And his neighborhood at that time, it was a majority white neighborhood. Now it's not, Um, Mm. but it was then back when they moved. And so my dad didn't grow up. um, He didn't keep the language. Like his dad didn't want him to um, Mm. speak it like outside the home. And so in the home, he would hear it. They went to someone church. So Mm-hmm. My dad would hear, so my dad could understand it, mm-hmm. um, but he, like him and all of his brothers, for the most part, ended up losing most of the language mm-hmm. because they didn't speak it a lot. And so um, the sadness of that is like, my that was not something my dad um, could pass on to us. And mm-hmm. so um, I think growing up, like we, I think the beauty of being Polynesian is um, even though I didn't grow up... Um, I didn't grow up around all my Samoan cousins. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents moved. We're from Southern California. They moved like inland before the Inland Empire was really a thing to buy Mm -hmm. a home they could afford to buy. Um, So I didn't grow up around all my Samoan cousins. And I wasn't obviously raised to speak the language because my dad didn't either. Mm. Um, But we always had this strong, like there's a strong pride in being Polynesian. There's a strong like regional identity, Mm. ethnic identity. Um, And so I I always felt that. But I think the sadness in it is just uh, there's always been the other side of that is like, I don't feel... Polynesian enough like I Mm. because I'm I feel disconnected from it um you know I don't get exposed to all the cultural customs except for at funerals 
weddings when all the family has to get together. Yeah. Um, and so there, there was just, I think, yeah, a wrestling of that, of like, mm. um, do who, who am I? Like, I was mm-hmm. like, you, when you look at me, you know, I'm Polynesian. I look, mm-hmm. a, I look just like my dad. I'm this, mm-hmm. he can't deny me even if he tried. Um, <laughs> and so, but I'm like, so I carry Polynesian in my bones, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but just wrestling with the, but am I, but I don't feel as Polynesian. And so it just, it's a weird, it's just kind of a weird space to sit and grow up in, if, if that makes sense. Totally so, makes sense. Totally yeah. makes sense. Did you grow up then with um, Samoan foods? We, yeah. So that is one thing. My mom being white, mm-hmm. um, she, she did learn how to make certain foods from some of my dad's um, nieces, cousins, aunties. Um, so one dish my mom could make was uh, called sapasui. It's basically a clear rice noodle. Um, except for my mom would like, um, man, she would kind of healthify it up a little bit. So she would put all <laughs> these vegetables in it. And I was like, yo, mom, just put the corned beef. It tastes way better. But my mom would be like, nah, carrots, cabbage, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, so it's things like that. But um yeah, like, but we didn't eat it a ton. Also, mm-hmm. I feel like that was an element my mom brought to um, my parents' marriage, where mm. uh, my dad grew up on white rice, spam, eggs, um, and we still, to this day, we get down with some spam in everything. Right. My family, oh, we yes. love spam. Mm-hmm. But my mom brought, like, what she brought to their marriage was like, yo, we can't be eating white rice like this all the time. Like, my, So just like the, <laughs> the, the things that my dad loved, like... Tyro, you know, she was like, we can't be having starches like this. Like, we don't have metabolism that will hold that well, right? So <laughs> I feel like that's an area, um, just like a hard balance of, like, culture and things mm-hmm. are part of culture. But also my mom, who my mom was also an RN, so she was a nurse. <laughs> and she was like, yo, we got to cut the white rice out. We can't have white rice every night like you grew up eating, you know? That's like, right. we have to add vegetables into our mm-hmm. diet. You grew up on rice and spam and taro and we need some vegetables. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so <laughs> my husband is from Hawaii, Hawaii, uh, yeah. you know, born and raised, and he is part native Hawaiian. And yeah. so the reason why I was asking about language too is my son, Jonathan, my oldest, has been taking Hawaiian um, wow. through, um, I think, Duolingo and some other places. But he actually did an Insta story where he was speaking Hawaiian. It brought tears to my eyes because the language was almost lost and he was mm-hmm. devoting time to it. But I realized I had only heard it sung, but yeah. never conversationally spoken. But when you yeah. just, but you threw out words just now, like when you were saying, you know, like the Hawaiian word for half is hapa, hapa you know, yeah. like hapa holly, half white or whatever, but yeah. you, you have the same kind of terms. So I'm curious, like when you watched the movie Moana, did that resonate with you? Like, or was that like too Hollywood-esque for you and your, for yourself? Yeah. So we, so my family, we heard about Moana three years before it came out. So we're like following it. We knew it was coming for three years in the making. Like we were like, ah, there's going to be a Polynesian. But yeah, we were anticipating the arrival of this um, Polynesian Disney princess. And um, so watching it, I think we, because the part I was curious about was I was like, 
Polynesia, though we're like, um, we we are a part of the same, like, there is a strong, like, Polynesian identity, Mm -hmm. but yet every culture within Polynesia, it is distinct, and there's tons of similarities, but Mm -hmm. there's tons of beauty in the distinctness, and so we were, I I was curious of, like, how are they going to represent all of Polynesia um, kind of in one like in one movie, because it yeah. wasn't just about Samoa or Tonga or Hawaii mm-hmm. um, or Tahiti. Like uh, it yeah. was, it, it was like kind of a lot of the South Pacific. And so what, it was fun to watch it because you could kind of like, um, you could see the distinct parts. So like the headdress that Moana wore um, in the village when, mm-hmm. you know, they were singing Moana, make way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, that was like, I was like, oh, this is like, that, that's Samoa, like that Samoan headdress, yeah, you know? Right. So like you okay. could see and it would be like, oh, okay, that's that's Fijian. Okay, that's Tonga. Mm-hmm. Like there were these elements I feel like we could point out and see the distinctiveness. Yes. But yet I feel like they did a good job of kind of wrapping it all, all like wrapping it all into one. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I, I feel like I give, it's probably not perfect. And people who probably know more than me and are like brilliant scholars in um, Polynesian cultures would be able to pick it apart, but I thought this is a beautiful mm. way that they unified this our region, right? The South Pacific, yes. Yes. Um, and still and still gave us these distinct pieces where we mm. could see we could see our you know we could see our people in her, and so yes. like even things like you know she wasn't a dizzy like she had thick legs, like I was mm-hmm. like that's that's <laughs> I was like that's Samoa and Tonga and. I'm like, yes. she has thick legs, like her yes. you know, curls, like my, um, my mm. nieces and nephews, they're like, you have Moana hair, Auntie right. Emma. And I'm like, I do. I'm like, yes, listen, so don't comb Moana's hair out with the brush. It needs to be no, water no. in that because you're just going to make it frizzy, right. you know? That's <laughs> so, right. I love um, that. So I just, yeah. So we, my family, you know, we all went opening night to see that together mm. and we just loved it. And uh mm-hmm. Like we saw ourselves, you know, in a Disney princess in a movie and it was, it was great. So yeah. Representation. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. It was like, I don't have a lot of movies anymore in my library, you know, my DVD, you know, there's just a handful that I really wanted DVD version. So like for me, it was crazy rich Asians. Like, can we get that? And, but the other one was Moana. I really wanted because of the behind the scenes part. Where yeah. they really, t- I, you know, props to Disney where they took the time to actually um, cast Polynesian actors. And, you know, the only white guy was the chicken. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. they went and asked, like they previewed parts of the movie and got the feedback like, no, Polynesians, even if Moana was mad, she would never throw a coconut into the ocean. Like that was originally written in that she would throw coconuts because she was so angry. It's like coconuts are a food source. You know, they're used in so many ways. That would be so wasteful. And based on the collective, no one would ever do that. So they ended up having her break sticks. And I thought, thank you for being culturally um, honoring. So yes. So that the due the due diligence to just pay attention to like a small detail like that, right? Mm-hmm. I just I, I think it's beautiful, and I'm I'm so thankful for it. You know, yeah. So 
Yeah. I hear that. Well, that would, this is like a natural question from that. So when you were describing all the different Polynesian cultures that are distinct and yet part of Mm -hmm. the same, and I kind of like think about Asian American as kind of distinct in the same. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious from your perspective, and I would love to just be able to hear from you. So often it's like, I see Asian American I see Pacific Islander. Sometimes they're brought together, sometimes mm-hmm. not. So from a Pacific Islander standpoint, what is that relationship like with Asian American or being lumped in with Asian American? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some similarities and overlap, but at the same time, distinct. And and is it a desire to be standalone or to be a part of? And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I feel like... Um, like there's, you know, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, right? So mm-hmm. I do feel like we get lumped together a lot, in fact. And actually when people, you know, um, even in like the justice world, when people list off like different people of color ethnic groups, they, they're not throwing out ever, um, you know, Pacific Islanders. They're, thro- they're, they're saying Asians. And then I think within that, we just kind of get lumped into that. Mm. So I do think we share... There is a lot of, um, I would say, intertwining of our our communities. So I think mm-hmm. of like a place like Hawaii, where um, Hawaiian culture it is uh, it is so infused with Japanese culture. Like they are just intertwined. They are a part like mm-hmm. um, in Hawaii, and so there is it is hard because there is a lot of that. Like there's so much intertwining of our cultures. But I also think like I was like when I think of um, South Pacific Islanders, like mm-hmm. I actually think that those are actually different than, than Asian. Um, yeah. Like we have our own even regional ethnic identity that mm. is, um, now I think it gets more complicated. Like, um, so Filipinos, right? Like right. that is more complex because they're, they're Pacific Islanders and they're Asian. So I'm like, there yes. is a Pacific, like that's more, they like, I'm like, they deserve their own conversation about mm-hmm. um, cultural identity. Right. But yeah. I do think when you think of South, the South Pacific Islands, you know, I think of like these three groups, I think of Melanesians, Micronesians, and Polynesians. Mm. And, and I'm like, that kind of um, distinguishes us as South Pacific Islanders. And then like, I'm Polynesian. So then even in within the Polynesian mm. triangle, even more distinct, you know? And so, yes. Um, so it just felt like, I feel the, the beauty of it is like our cultures in many ways are so intertwined. And then mm-hmm. some of, I think the, the harm, more harmful parts is um, I think like the Polynesian stories, the narratives of like these specific people who were for 1500 years sailed and became the, like the first inhabitants of the Pacific, like all the islands in the South Pacific, you know, those narratives wow. get lost when mm. you just lump you and you just lump us with um, Asian. You yes. know, and so yes. that's, I think, that's, I think the fear in it. Like, I'm like, I feel, I do feel solidarity with my Asian brothers and sisters. Sure. Um, but I also think like, I'm like, I think we're also our own. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. I, like when I have, to, if I have to check my ethnicity in a box, like, I'm like, I don't think if I just have to check Asian, I actually don't think I'm checking me. <laughs> Like right, I'm like, right. I'm like, like, especially Polynesia, like, um, so like the Polynesian triangle, right. The Northern, the Northern tip of it would be Hawaii. And then the Western sort of Southern tip would be, um, Aotearoa or New Zealand. So the, the Maori mm-hmm. people, and then the yeah, Eastern the tip, right. Yeah. Um, 
the eastern tip would be Easter Island, so the Rapa Nui mm. people. But I'm like, we so that triangle doesn't doesn't really touch it doesn't touch Asia. So it's like that's how it feels that's like. So good, yeah. Yeah, it feels like um, we have solidarity together, but we're also like we're our, we're a whole other region of the world. Mm. Um, which I don't know if like I think this is where Asians really and us really relate is like um, sometimes like. Polynesians uh, peppered along the west coast of the mainland. There's tons mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. um, but if you're somewhere like the Midwest, the South, the East Coast, where people don't really have a category for what Polynesians look like, yeah. So when I tell them, they're like, "What? What are you?" Like you know the kind of <laughs> yeah. head tilt, mm-hmm. um, and I say, "Oh, I'm actually um, like I'm I'm Samoan, and then I'm mm-hmm. half white." And they'll be like, oh, someone like some, like they, they don't really know the word. So they yeah. say, oh, like from Somalia. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like Vivian, this happened when I lived in the Midwest. This happened three different times, three different people unconnected. And it happened. Really? Mm-hmm. And, but it's, but I, I like understood because I was like, they don't have Polynesians out here. So unless you are mm. watch football, if you watch NFL yeah. football, you'll know. But yeah. if you don't, you don't yeah. know. You probably have not heard of that. And so yeah. I was like, no, Somalia is East Africa. We're actually, um, we're like on the other side of the world in the South Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and, um, and then so people will be like, oh, so like Hawaii. And like, mm. that's the closest frame of reference. Yeah, they have some like, um, yeah, like a whole nother, you know, island and country with a whole different people, but yes, if that's the closest you can like, um, you know, grasp Connect. it. Yes. Yeah. And so just, uh, I don't even remember where I was going with all that, but just like the distinctness of who we are and that I think we are, we are like our own region and our own ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm like, I love the crossover we have with Asian culture mm-hmm. and I love, mm-hmm. and I do love that. Like we have a strong, strong, regional identity too. Yes. So I love that. And I think uh, my, uh, so just a natural question out of that is what are ways to really honor, you know, Pacific Islanders, South Pacific Islanders, you know, what are, what is um, just a real practical way, um, even in awareness or conversation, because what I'm realizing is, you know, as I've been doing some days here, you know, I, you know, in my own family, Darren being native Hawaiian, which means my children mm-hmm. are also part of their yeah. heritage, native Hawaiian. And when we go back home to Darren's family and are surrounded by the culture and everything that's, you know, Hawaii, and even right now with the um, protests that were going on because of the telescope on Mauna yeah. Kea, there's, yeah. a, there's a connection, like, emotional reaction to that in a way that is different than, um, than just a uh, factual knowledge, yeah. you know, so yes. it's in the same, I kind of liken it to, um, you know, I didn't grow up with very many black friends, but when I let, you know, in college and outside of college started to have more and more black friends, all of a sudden now when I watch the news, if there's another hashtag name, this is not just an event that took place. I'm yeah. understanding there are lives of my friends and even yeah. in my faith, my, my brothers and sisters that are being impacted. So anyway, going back. So for you, yeah. what are ways that um, are helpful? What are 
some terminology, terms that would be helpful, anything that would, would serve to help um, the conversation and awareness yeah. and education? Um, I just, I think one of the things that, uh, so I have a friend on, on staff, you know her, but whenever we kind of list out, like when people are like um, Asian people, Black people in this country, um, Latinos and Hispanics, like I think one of the things is no, no one says um, Polynesian or no one says Islanders, Polynesians. Mm. And, and that's, I like, I think that that's okay because I don't think it's always um, relevant to the conversation that we're having. But I just think little places to acknowledge, like we are a people group that is also our own. Um, mm. I think that's just like, it also brings like education to this region of the world, you know, that um, I think most of the world probably just thinks about like resorts and vacation mm. when it's like, uh, there's like, which that's, that in <laughs> a whole itself, like, thing. We- that's a whole other thing. Cause I'm like, that's, that's a result of some, um, but yeah, so just like to even like, that's why I, uh, I've joked about now that Moana, you know, came out in 2016, mm-hmm. I was like, you don't have any excuse to not know about the South Pacific. I'm like, now there is a movie that like about a princess. And so every, if you didn't know, now, you know, you know, and that's so, right. Um, so I think just acknowledging us um, in that way, like including us in a conversation. Um, mm. But I also think realizing uh, Polynesia has its own like historical narratives too. So you mentioned it, right. You in Hawaii, the thing, the issues around building the telescope. Um, and I'm like, those issues, like, um, like you said, that when you understand where that comes out of, mm-hmm. then, you, then your heart breaks for it. So like, yeah. if, like the history of Hawaii, and I don't know it by far, but I know the basics, right? But Queen um, Liliuokalani like was like queen over Hawaii. And mm-hmm. basically, she was basically like held at gunpoint by U.S. ambassadors, businessmen, and military, and was forced to sign the rights of Hawaii over to the United States mm-hmm. to avoid her people, to avoid the Hawaiian, the Native Hawaiian people being attacked and killed, yeah. like from, by the U.S. government. And so, like, there's, and then obviously, you know, and then because that happened, then you have all the issues that are behind all this. Like, people are like, "This was never your land," but you sell off our land to people who pay millions and billions for this primary real estate and build a huge house on it or build a resort. But yet the, the the original owners of the land have no rights to it, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there's just so much pain in that. Like if, like if you, so I'm like, but that's so Polynesia has its own narratives in these types of like hard, complicated, um, horrific injustices. Right. Cause Mm. like, right. People will be like, well, because of that, you know, like the economy of Hawaii, it's tourism and they're there. And I'm like, yeah, but bro, we, it's like, <laughs> it's how I feel a lot about my native friends here in the States. Like I'm like, yes, yes. I'm like they, like it's a, it's a really ugly history. And so Polynesia mm-hmm. has it, you know, they like, um, Tonga and Samoa, we have an ugly history of slavery. Um, Tongans enslaved Samoans for, I think, 400 years. Wow. And then Samoa had a, um, yeah, Samoa had like a revolt and basically won back, won their independence. But mm. there, there are, there are 
there are the ugly, complicated narratives in, in our people group too. And they're not yeah. the more widely known ones. They're not talked about as much. But like you said, like because they're Polynesian, like I'm more connected to it. I love going to Hawaii. And so it's almost like I can't, I don't want to go vacation on that land, right? Without mm-hmm. knowing, like it is beautiful. It's a gift that we get to go. But there's an ugly story behind that too. Right. And I feel like I want to honor it by knowing that. And mm. You know, so I just think that like being able to learn and honor something by knowing the good and the very ugly always yeah. honors, always honors the narrative, you know? And so, mm. and so that's maybe that's what really I would helpful. say. Yeah, that's really good. That's really, really helpful. This week's Did You Know is disaggregate the data. Did you know that in the 2000 U.S. Census, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders were recognized by the government as two different racial identities. Previously identified in the census as Asian Pacific Americans, these two communities are now recognized as having very different and complex histories that at times have intertwined. And yet, they are still often conflated to this day. While there is value in bunching these communities for solidarity purposes, as seen in institutions such as ethnic studies programs at universities and nonprofits, or to address issues of violence and poverty, there are also serious complications that must be taken into consideration. First, data must be disaggregated. Not only is it dangerous, harmful, and inaccurate to create a narrative that supports a homogenous Asian American community as the model minority, does not account for the vast amount of Asian American communities who are living all over the socioeconomic spectrum, and especially those who are living under the poverty line. Even more so, to also include Pacific Islander data as homogenous with Asian American, it erases the unique histories and the specific issues that are prevalent within Pacific Islander communities, while creating unrealistic expectations for both Pacific Islanders and Asian Americans. This issue tangibly manifests when these already underserved communities are not provided any or cannot afford the resources to get them out of their situations. Secondly, what complicates this matter even more so is that in many places, such as Hawaii, Asian Americans are actually seeing as settler colonialists, meaning that they have not only displaced indigenous people from their land, but contributed to the loss of indigenous language, history, and practices. It is important that Asian Americans also recognize the ways in which they have oppressed others. The question is how do we advocate for and become allies to Pacific Islander communities as Asian Americans? How do we not only make space for them at the table, but how do we show with our actions that their histories matter to us? This is especially important in an increasingly globalized world where we are, more often than not, interconnected with one another. That's this week's Did You Know? So when you were growing up, you know, here in Southern California, which mm-hmm. is pretty diverse for the most part, your yeah. parents moved inland. Um, 
was that pretty white? Like we, growing up, we, did you grow up in a white neighborhood? Did you struggle ever with um, your heritage and not liking being Samoan? Like how, how was that for you? Just yeah. And when, when did you kind of turn the corner and kind of come to a place of feeling the pride, you know, the I hold my head up higher because of who I am and my heritage? Yeah. So I grew up in, um, so the Inland Empire, which is like, you know this because you're from Southern California, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're not, the Inland Empire is the re- a region of Southern California that is inland from the coast, hence the Inland Empire, the IE. Um, and so I- that is, I was born in Long Beach, California, but my parents um, bought a house in the IE because that's where you could buy houses that were affordable at the time. Um, and so the IE, what I what I love about that part, even though I'm like it's smoggy, it's hecka hot. It takes <laughs> us. I was like, it's but we're like an hour from everything. We're an hour from the beach. We're an hour from San Diego. We're less than mm-hmm. an hour from the mountains. Less than an hour from the desert. Like I'm like, what climate you want? We got all of them. That's right. Um, <laughs> but, but what's what I love about the IE is because the housing was more the more affordable homes mm-hmm. of Southern California is. The IE was a very diverse area mm-hmm. to live in. So I grew up in a super diverse um, area. My city was called Moreno Valley, um, mm-hmm. i.e. the Brown Valley. So it's like literally a hot desert brown valley. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it, but it was super diverse. And then so my the high school that all my family went to, the region, like the district I was in, Mm-hmm. I didn't go there because I um, because of sports. So I played basketball and volleyball, but I transferred and I went to the like high school on the other side of our city, which mm. people would always clown me like, "You go to the hood high school, you go to the ghetto high school, like, um, like you better be careful so you don't get stabbed." Like it was just a joke. People would tease me about that, um, and so I grew up. My high school was m- more brown and black. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, and so I, one of the things that is unique in my story is, so the feelings I said earlier of like, I, I don't speak the language. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm Samoan enough, even mm-hmm. though I'm so Samoan, like I look Samoan. I have, I have the most, like I have my dad's hair where the rest of my siblings, we all have really different hair, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, I, I don't know if I'm Samoan enough and I was mm-hmm. half white, but no one would look at me and think I was white. So I right. never got labeled as white. Yeah. Um, so it was like, okay, I don't fit in fully there. Um, but so the community that like, they loved my hair, they embraced my big personality, right? It was the black community. Like mm. I also played basketball. And so mm. most of my teammates growing up were black. Mm-hmm. And, um, like my family, they were, they did not mean anything like super mean by it, but I just took it. Like it was really hurtful to me. They would like make fun of my hair and be like, your hair is a rat's nest. <laughs> Cause I, I have, I have, um, if you're a, if you have curly hair, you know, but I have like three C hair. So I have coarse hair, tight curls. Um, and so, yeah, it'd be looking kind of, it looks kind of crazy sometimes, but, um, so, but I was like, but the black community, they said, I have good hair <laughs> and, mm. and like all my big personality, like, mm-hmm. uh, when I felt like I was a lot in other, mm-hmm. they like loved that part of me and embraced me. And so I, I feel like 
in middle school and college, I started to, like, I, I felt so at home um, mm. in the Black community because I just felt so embraced for who I was. Yeah. In other places, like, even in my own family, in some ways, I didn't feel as embraced as mm. I was there. And so, um, so that I kind of grew up, yeah, like, in this weird in between of diverse communities that really influenced me and the way I see the world. Mm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause the rock he is, is he Samoan? Yeah. He's Samoan and black. Yeah. So I think most people think he's just black. You know what mm. I mean? Like uh, some of the roles that he's played in movies, you know, he yeah. he's, seems, you know, like that's, but, when he was it, when he played Maui, I mean, he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, but, so good. Yeah, but yeah. So it's she, funny because I think most of the world, maybe because, but like the because you and me, like maybe in the like Asian Pacific Islander world, like we know he's someone. Like we're like yeah. we don't even claim him as black. We claim him no. as one of ours. Like, I'm like peace. <laughs> He's Polynesian, you like know. Tiger Woods is Thai. Tiger Woods is Thai. <laughs> yeah, I'm like we're we're claiming like all of it, you know. Kamala, so. Kamala. <laughs> yes. Asian, Indian. Yes, yes okay. exactly, yes. exactly. So, anyway, so for you then, was there a point in time for you where you kind of embraced like I love being Samoan. I'm proud of being Samoan. Yeah. Um, I'm not black. You know, I do. Yeah. And I'm when did that black. happen? Yeah. So one, a distinct moment for me, um, well, there's maybe two, but so something that people know, like, of, like people to attach someone's to athletics. Mm. And so like, fo- like football players, like there's all these things about recruiting from the islands and, yes. and we do. And like, I happen to be like a part of the stereotype, like. <laughs> My dad and all my uncles were college football players and NFL linemen. At UCLA. I mean, we're, like, we're talking famous people. Yeah. Which is <laughs> awesome. What a, yeah. what a heritage so, and legacy. Yeah. And so like I, and I, and I, and then I did the same thing. I really wanted to be like my dad as mm. a little kid. I remember that. And so, yeah, I jumped into sports and, um, and so I remember my senior year of high school there was this thing called the, um, the Ainga Foundation. Um, and so they had, it's like basically to honor like someone's in the community, wow. basically going to college, doing things. Mm-hmm. And so um, we went to the, these award, like this award ceremony. And so it was, it was Polynesians from all over Southern California. And we were like getting awarded for like, like, so I was going to UCLA. And so I just remember looking around at these awards Mm. And I've, I've, I felt so proud because I was like, wow, we're like, we're really like making our people proud. We're representing mm. Samoa and Tonga and we're representing Polynesia so well. Mm. And it's just when you look around and you see, like on the podcast, you can't see me, but I'm 6'2". Like I'm, as a third grader, I was taller than my teacher. Like I've always been... <laughs> Like I've never just fit in. I've always stood Mm. out. Like I have a larger stature. I have big Polynesian hair. Um, And I think when you're around just Polynesians, you feel like I was like, I fit in. Mm -mm. (laughs) Whereas in most other spaces, Mm -hmm. I greatly stand out. And Mm. so 
that was a moment. And then um, right before I came on staff, I went up to the Bay Area to stay with some of my cousins. I was with my, my aunties and my uncles. And um, <clears throat> he, I was kind of like, there's something called Fa'a Samoa, and it just means the Samoan way. And there's all these customs associated with Fa'a Samoa. And I'd never, because I didn't, again, didn't grow up like super immersed in them. I was like, I don't get it. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Like what it's all, I don't get why we do this. And so I remember I asked my auntie and my uncle and, um, and they just started to like teach me, you know, and they, they were like, Hey, so, cause with Fa'a Samoa, like one of the things we do is, um, every funeral, every family and like Samoan families are huge. And so mm-hmm. every family within the family, extended cousins, we're all just cousins, right? Yeah they put together money and then they come to the house of the person who died. And then your the family on the behalf of the family, that family like presents this money um, mm. to the family of the deceased one. And so yeah. like, they were like, it's like in Samoa, like we, we carry the burdens together. Like wow. when not one family is going to be responsible for the, like the, costs that come from the death of family. We mm-hmm. all are family, so we own it together. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. I'm just thinking my dad has to call all his brothers and tell them to give him money when someone dies. Mm-hmm. But it's really this bigger picture where it like, I was like, wow. this reflects this communal beauty where mm-hmm. like your burdens are my burdens. Like when mm-hmm. you're mourning, we're all going to mourn and we're all going to carry it together. And wow. um I was like blown away. So like one of the things we do too, like in Fasamoa, we ha- we give like we give corn beef, flats of corn beef, and these things called conga mats. That I'm like, this is weird. Why do we do this? And my aunt, my aunt and uncle are like, um, conga mats are worth are valuable in Samoa. Like, and corn beef um, back in the day, right in the islands, you would give people like a pig or a chicken. So, mm-hmm. And they're like, we we don't do that out. We're not going to go hand somebody a chicken. <laughs> a chicken. Like, here you go. <laughs> So we give us like we give a flat of corned beef, like we present mm. them with a flat of corned beef, and we um, and we present these conga mats because these represent they're valuable, and so mm. it's honoring, and you're bestowing these things of value and food, right? Like food is such a part of what we do, and so um, and we honor the fafayals, like the pastors. Every pastor, they sit in a room, and we honor them, we serve them, um, mm. we give them money. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's such a culture of when someone could teach me, right? When some when someone could help me learn, I was like, "Oh, this is beautiful." And this yeah. is like these are these are the things that I didn't even realize I carry of Polynesia in the way that I do life. But I had I didn't know. But mm. I feel I, but I believe like God built them into me, you know, You're through my ethnicity. Yes. yes. So, um that's when I was like, I love I love who I am. Like I, mm. it is such a privilege to be a part of this community, like to carry the the blood I carry in my body, you know, this mm-hmm. Samoan blood. And um, I was like, I love it. And I love the way that I carry it with me wherever I go, you know? Mm. So That's... that was like a, that was a turning moment for me of like understanding. And then mm. I, and then seeing the goodness that I just, I didn't learn grow, when I was young, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. I feel like there's a, I, I, in so many of my friends who, you know, on their ethnic journey, especially if they've grown up not around like their own culture, um, 
there's this point of adulthood of kind of all the pieces kind of clicking together a little bit more because there's context, there's some more, there are examples and there's something to compare and contrast it to because it's almost like we just kind of think our our world is what it is until we kind of move out of it. And then we see, oh, different people do life differently. Or it's not like necessarily on TV that's being represented, but it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I I love that um well that you even took the time to ask your aunt and uncle and to have your mm-hmm. life enriched that way. And I I just think we we all gain by taking the time to hear the stories yeah. and to ask the questions and to learn the customs. Um, mm-hmm. And those are the things that we can then, you know, like you're saying, it's infused in us, but we can then pass it on and yes. continue. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful. That is really yeah, It really is. Yeah. I love it. I do. I love it. <laughs> that's yeah. so great. Well, do you have in your, you know, you have led on so many levels and I, I admire you as a leader and um, not only are you um, a thoughtful leader, Mm-hmm. Um, you are a seasoned leader, in my opinion, you, and you've had to lead through some com- complexity, <laughs> and <laughs> and and even now in our current day, you know, there's just a lot to lead through, organizationally, uh, structurally, all of those things. So, do you have any principles of leadership that you kind of use to steer your life? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think of two in particular. Um, the first one is like when I think of um, what I, how I view leadership and have is I grew up, my family, I grew up in a communal, like really communal family. So like my mom, it was an identical twin. And then my, so my mom married my dad who was Samoan and then her identical twin married my uncle who is Mexican. And so, and then they all had four kids all in the same order, boy, girl, girl, boy. So I kind of grew up, so then my cousins were half Mexican, we were half someone, and then we grew up doing everything together. I grew up mm. with four parents instead of two. I grew up with seven <laughs> siblings instead of just three, you know, like, um, so while my aunt would pick these ones up from school, my uncle would drive these ones to practice in Orange <laughs> County. Um, it would be like, all right, Emma has practice in Redlands. Emma, here's three tacos on a plate to go, eat it in the car. You know, like it was this constant, like it, but what I learned about leadership was that it, it can't be done alone. <laughs> it was that it has to be done communally. And so I think the way I just, see leadership is it is communal like I was mm. like I, I love shared leadership I love it because um I think like that's the way I've seen marriage work is like we're a team mm-hmm. we make decisions together and we execute yeah. together like I only yeah. know leadership in a shared form like I didn't mm. grow up in a really patriarchal family where my dad made all the decisions he always mm-hmm. had to be like ask your mom you know like yeah. so, <laughs> like so I just think like good leadership is going to be done in community. And, mm. and that, that it's really important to me, like who I work with, it matters to me. Cause I'm like, I want to lead with people who feel the same way. Like mm-hmm. we're going to go after this as a community. Right. Yeah. And then the second thing I think I think about a lot is I can't effectively lead something that I don't touch. So I think mm. the thing I, I, I watch a lot of leaders do is, um, 
like in the the organization I work for, a lot of people kind of step out of the field and they go up into organizational leadership. And that's really important. We need that. But I think what I see happens is there becomes this gap of mistrust where the now the people who leave the field, they don't really touch it. And so yeah. they're pretty disconnected from what people in the field are doing. So then there builds this huge gap where the field doesn't trust the leadership and mm. the leaders are trying to build bridges and they're like, you're missing us. Do you mm-hmm. even know what's going on? And I just, I think I see this a lot and, and I see it in like the culture sometimes of leadership. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to be that type of a leader. <laughs> so I just think mm. for me in any capacity of, of leadership I have in any position I take where I'm leading, I'm like, it's, it's important enough where we have to touch the thing we're leading. Like we mm-hmm. have to be able to stay connected to it. Yeah. Uh, we can't just make decisions for people. We actually need to be, like we do have to lead, right? Organizational leadership is important, but we have to find the ways and the touch points to stay connected mm-hmm. to the whole, to what we're leading. Um, yes. And I, just, and I think sometimes leaders lose sight of that because they get bogged down with all these other, you know, like, leadership things that you have to do, but I just think it's important enough where I'm like, listen, you can, I can, I'm going to sit these stupid spreadsheets aside for me to Mm -hmm. go be in the field for today because this is important, you know? So, oh my goodness. I could, I could broadcast that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I a hundred percent agree. And I think especially in this day and age when Technology is the way that it is, and the world yeah. is so interconnected with mm-hmm. you know social media and all of those things that that much more we leaders do need to be aware and um, in touch with yeah. to stay relevant totally. because it it moves really quickly now. I feel like the 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 whitewater current, you know, it just moves faster than it did before because we have that much more coming at us. Exactly. Um, You know, as we're taping this conversation, you know, we're sitting in the middle of a lot of tensions. We have currently wildfires all up and down the West Coast. We have a global pandemic. We have racial tension. We have an election year. And leading through that without knowing what's really going on in the field is a, it really can be, it can really hamper decision-making. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It kind of, you can, you can sort of make decisions like an, um, without any, like, I know you can't make emotional decisions, but I think there's just a level of connectedness you have to feel. And yes. I think it makes us like, it's kind of like, it's like pro- how proximity really causes you to be empathetic and proximity mm-hmm. is what like is what helps you to like see the things you are blind to see. That's um, right. And I think leadership's the same way. Like proximity helps you make wise decisions. Proximity right. helps you feel what the people you're leading feel. And so mm-hmm. like, we just, we can't do it. We can't lead well without it. I, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I agree a hundred percent. This is another reason why I admire you so because <laughs> You are wise. Wow. Oh my goodness. So give us a little, I would love for my listeners to learn a little bit about lenses and what lenses is about. Um, You know, just, yeah, catch us up on a little bit on that because it's really life-changing. Yeah. So lenses, 
is essentially the short of it is it's a it is a development platform that helps the people of God um, fight for oneness and unity um, by helping um, leaders um, see, understand, and act in a Mm -hmm. culturally and ethnically diverse world that we live in today. So what it is, is this a five-day intensive. Um, It's a little bit adjusted for COVID. So they're actually Mm -hmm. not this, like in a normal year, right now they're all virtual and they're shorter. Um, But yeah, it's kind of a five-day or less intensive where we kind of walk through seeing seeing um, the world through different eyes than your own, mm-hmm. seeing um, and under, seeing understanding, so understanding how the past has impacted greatly the present, um, mm-hmm. understanding our own ethnic identities and journeys, and then acting, how kind of, of the things you see and you understand, and how is this, how does this cause you to act? And so, um, yeah, so it's been a, the, I work for an organization called athletes in action and uh, some of our leaders at one point just said, all right, enough. We've been talking about diversity and ethnicity and justice for 40 years and we've not done anything. Enough is enough. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> lenses kind of was birthed out of that. There was this need, there were leaders who are motivated, um, to, ad- to address these issues and kind of do the training and development we needed to start staff on, to enter into this conversation to begin to grow. Yeah. And so Lenses was created out of that. And so uh, we've been doing it since 20, maybe 2011 or 2012. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's grown from just uh, an AIA thing to like all of our larger organization. And then now we've been working with some outside organizations and it's just gotten maybe way bigger than I ever thought it would, but, (laughs) but God has been good and gracious. And I think it's happened because I think we need it. It needs to happen. (laughs) Yeah. So if, if, um, a listener would be interested, like where would they go to look for, we'll link this in the show notes as well, but where could they go and find more information? Is it available to people, you know, to take as individuals or is it more groups? What, how, what it's yeah. the situation? Um, yes, right. it's available right now to everyone. So mm-hmm. we've had to slowly move into that because there was like restrictions organizationally, but yeah, so right now anyone can do it. Um, We've also done, like some organizations want us to come in and do something just with their organization. And so Mm -hmm. we've been in the works with some of that. Um, And so if you want more information or if that's something you're like, yeah, I think we maybe need to think about this, um, you can go to our website. uh, It's thelensesinstitute.com. And Mm Yeah. And you can, it'll, it'll show what we do. It talks more about the vision. Um, and then there's a way to contact us and Mm -hmm. we can be in touch with you. So that's excellent. Well, I'm excited about that. How can people find you? Do you, do you do social (laughs) media? Do you like that? Are you kind of more private? What would you say? (laughs) I do. I dabble in social media, but I, I, so I, I have basically, I have Facebook and I have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. Like I've really tried to limit the, uh, the amount that I have. So I basically have those two. Mm. Um, so Instagram, it's just, it's, my last name and the first letter. So it's Itautolo is my Instagram. And then Emma Tautolo on 
Facebook. But yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of all I really do right now. Like I've been, I've been thinking and talking to people about other things and ways, like how do you put, when you write, like where do you put your writing? And I don't mm-hmm. know yet. I haven't figured that out, Vivian. So I just basically watch you and try to learn everything. That you <laughs> so. I'm making it up as it goes, so. <laughs> But whatever I can help encourage yeah. you in, I will. I will cheer you on. <laughs> that is really, yes. really great. So, sure. well, I have loved our conversation and um, I'm just, oh, do you have any favorite Samoan foods that you would want to share? Comfort food? Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to ask me Asian. So, oh, I yeah, was like, Asian. You can Well, do I was that. ready to. Um, like with the probably my like comfort food that crosses over again, like I said, the mm-hmm. Asian and Polynesian mix is spam musubi. So oh, like yes. I yes. I get I make we love spam musubi. We mm-hmm. make it I my little spam slicer and my, yes. my musubi press from Marukai. I'm like That's ready to go. Right. Okay, um, how do you make yours? I would love to hear because we could share little tips here. Okay. Well, I just we we like ha- like lay- we lay out the seaweed. We put this the mm-hmm. press on. What I do is I. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm talking about spam this way, but we are about <laughs> it. So we yeah. used to kind of fry our spam a little bit. Yes, yes. I've actually learned that I like steamed spam. Really? So I put my sliced spam in a steamer on the stove and I let it steam. Really? And then I take it from the steamer and I put it in like um, either some shoyu sauce or a teriyaki mm-hmm. type of yeah, sauce. Yeah, like a Yoshida. Yeah, something like mm-hmm. any type of like that would work. And okay, then I okay. soak it in there mm-hmm. and then I'll put that on the rice, put a little extra of it so there's a little mm-hmm. bit of sauce inside the musubi. That's right, that's right. And we press it, roll it, put it in saran wrap, let it steam out the... Um, the nori and mm-hmm. oh, that's so good. Okay, so my so I have done the frying of the yeah. spam the spam musubi, and then yeah. I use furikake, which is like Japanese yes, rice seasoning. Yes, we love furikake. Yes, yes. Right? but um, I want so it's usually really messy, and by the time I get to the last bunches of spam, like the bottom is all like burnt because yeah. you. Know, so, but then I watched my son fry the spam regular, like without any oil, because it's greasy itself. Right, and right. He had a bowl next to him where he just dipped it in the Yoshida sauce, oh. and then he made it. So I think everyone makes it differently. That's, but yeah. little pro tip: if you don't have a spam musubi like um, shaper the, thing, you can the use press, the can. Yeah. You can use a can. You, you just totally can. So you just cut the nori in half. Yeah, and then you. Smush rice down inside the can with a little spoon. Stick the spam piece inside. Do a little sauce. Do a little furukake. Put more rice yes. in. Dump it out upside down. And it's because it's greasy. It just slides right out. It just comes right on out. And All that like, salt and grease. And you just wrap that seaweed right around it. And it's fabulous. Oh, so we were, on, we were away on a summer you know, trip type thing and didn't have our slicer. But that, yeah. that saved our lives. Wow, that's now I know if I'm somewhere and I don't have my most to be pressed. Yeah, you you just need the can. So okay, so that was your that was your your pan Asian across the board, lovely comfort food. Is there anything else you would want to add to that or my pan to my food? I mean, mm-hmm. Samoan food wise. So like, um, I like. So there's a, it's like a, I don't know what, it's a green banana that's boiled. Okay. So it's called, it's called fa'i. And I like, it's a, it's pretty tasteless. 
mm-hmm. tasteless. So I like to eat that with like really salty stuff. So whether it's like mm. Kahlua pork or, mm. you know, so like whatever. So mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. that's like some kind of like a side. I'm, it's like a side dish kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, it's cause it's literally like a banana, but uh-huh. it's just, it's not a Without sweet banana. Flavor. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty tasteless. So I just, I think it's good with any type of salted like anything. Like a plantain kind of thing? Yeah, except it's really, I think it's just like it's a green a banana. banana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's literally just a banana that's green. With no and then, flavor. <laughs> yeah. So it's not sweet. I was like, it's boiled <laughs> and it's not like sliced and smashed. Like it's served yeah. like as a whole. It's just a whole banana. Okay. So, yeah. Are there any Samoan restaurants? Um, or is that so, more just home cooking kind of thing? My dad has found one out by where we are from in the mm-hmm. IE. Um, mm-hmm. But there's not a lot. And how you usually have to find them is through like family who knows family, whose family ah. runs this. And there they would be little hole in the wall mm-hmm. like things. And so, yeah, there's there's some, like this one's in a city called Rubido. And my dad knows where it's at and gets it mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, but more like the, what's more like you could find anywhere is probably Hawaiian barbecue, which is not Samoan food, but it'll work. It'll hold us over. <laughs> right. we're, we're all about the plate lunch. So that's right. I love it. Yeah. I love it. You're talking about that with the taro. And is there poi, some version of poi in Samoan? Um, I don't think we have. I think fai is kind of like our version of poi. Kind of tasteless. Okay. You eat it with salty stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think we do, but I, but poi, yeah, I like that too. <laughs> I'm like, That's awesome. I, so I love it. And I just love fish and all, Polynesian mm-hmm. culture every, is um, always used with fish, you know? Yes. And so lomi lomi salmon and mm. yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just really good. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, oh, so good. well, thank you, Emma, for taking time and just sharing your life, your story, your lessons. I think my heart is full, and I know that our listeners have just been enriched with oh my gosh through you. So thank I'm you. I'm so thankful for you, and thanks for having me on. This was so fun, like life-giving conversation of my month. Seriously, yay! Well, so. much love to you. Yep. Love you, Vivian. Take care. Well, I hope you really uh, learned new things today listening to Emma share. I know I did, and my heart is just full. Uh, What great insight and wisdom from her. Everything from her leadership lessons, just learning about the uh, just the South Pacific and Polynesian people and just Samoan culture. I just such a rich, rich time. I hope that you will take some time and look up Lenses Institute. Um, the links will all be in our show notes. Um, so please take time to learn more and uh, share this episode with your friends. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. 
The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.